0: low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast.
1: So I'll get us kicked off here and just want to do a quick introduction. So for myself, Greg Stewart, um, I lead business development here at Sales Readiness Group and love working with um, credit unions of all sizes and improving their member conversation skills. And I'll pass it over to Stephen Miller, uh, joining us from A-plus here. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, your work, and uh, about A-plus?
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Uh, My name is Stephen Miller. I am Assistant Vice President of Retail Services at A-plus Federal Credit Union. We are a $2.75 billion credit union located in Central Texas headquarters in Austin, the great city of Austin. So uh, we have about 195,000 uh, members and my role and my organization is to oversee our retail network.
1: Great, thanks Stephen, And I'll pass it over to Kirk.
2: Hey, good morning everybody. Uh, Kirk Traik, uh, founder of Credit Union 2.0. And uh, I, certainly this is a topic, I think early in my career when I was at NIH Credit Union, uh, we had tried to establish a sales and service culture, and uh, and 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 found that that was a, a real challenge for the credit union. And so, um, you know, and, and at the same time, with our fintech mastermind, uh, we've got a bunch of credit unions and fintechs involved in that, and and um, a lot of the guys are on the call today. So, uh, good to see all of you guys. Um, and and have just found over the years that uh, I think coming out of the liquidity stuff from 2022, and kind of you know, the rest of this, and actually having an interest margin again, and uh, having to pay for deposits that credit unions are very interested in both growing um, their assets uh, and their uh, membership piece. And uh, when I, uh, this is a topic that came out of one of our groups, and we said, let's put together a panel of of folks who really specialize in this. I'm super excited to be here uh, with you guys today.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks, Kirk. And then Gordon, you want to share? I know that you're uh, familiar with uh, with with Kirk and maybe with some others in the mastermind group. But uh, you can share a little bit about yourself and Datava.
3: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've worked with financial institutions pretty much my whole professional career over two decades now. Uh, started Datava at the beginning of 2020. We're based out of Colorado. Uh, and uh, before I started Daytava, what I I was with a few different firms where they would come in do sales training, culture training, operational improvement training. So uh, definitely have a lot of kind of background and experience before I started Daytava uh, working in kind of these areas, trying to put your finger in the pulse on how to help uh financial institutions and most especially I would say credit unions and uh is, is where my passion really is as we started that QSO. so. Uh, so super excited to be part of this panel uh and and talk about different things that uh, I've seen historically and I would say especially how to be kind of proactive uh in the future. So thanks, thanks for putting this together. I'll unmute myself.
1: Should be, should we should all be on that at this point, three years or so in. But um anyway, thanks, Gordon. And let's jump in here. So Uh, We're talking today about what it takes to be successful in 2023. Um, At a certain point, it almost seems like a a fool's errand. The the list of things that we're uncertain about and cannot predict seems to only have grown over the last several years, whether it relates to public health or economic uncertainty. Um, If anyone was flying this week or the last few weeks, we can add, is my flight going to take off to things that we cannot predict? Um, But I think it's still worth doing. Um, as credit unions and credit union support organizations, um, really our mission is to figure out what what does the member need today and how can we help them get that um, regardless of what's happening in our world. So um, first, I just wanted to start off and hear from everyone. We have If you're attending today, you'll notice we have a few different angles from the different panelists today, Kirk working, um, supporting both credit unions and uh, fintechs, Um, Gordon coming out from the technology side, and Stephen being a fantastic practitioner. I'm just curious what trends you all are seeing. And Kirk, you already hit on a couple of these. So I'd love for you to start us here. What are the trends you're seeing today um, as we look at uh, jumping into 2023?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think there's three big ones. So, so in the larger, uh, more open fields of membership credit unions, liquidity is a huge piece. Um, we're having to pay for deposits for the first time. It's a much more competitive market. The traditional things we did with CDs to generate deposits aren't working the same way. Um, and frankly, you know, targeting CDs to millennials and and uh Gen Z uh, and even some Boomers I've never owned a CD in my entire career you know 30 years in uh because the rates were so stupid why bother um you know and and so you're starting to see an entire population has never been trained to use those products kind of having to to navigate that and figure out how to make it the other piece of it I would say is if it takes me an hour to fill out the paperwork to get a CD I'm just not doing it right um so, so you're competing with Marcus and some of those other uh type things. Um, so then, the second big one I think is uh, membership growth. We're seeing, you know, consumers. A boomers are frankly starting to die off, um, and, and so they're seeing some shrinkage from there. I know a lot of credit unions that actually have, uh, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed with in their uh, closing out member accounts from people that are are passing on, and and so that's a a big change. Um, and And so I think that's causing membership growth concerns and how do you get um younger members in and and really addressing that piece, whether it's at the board or you know, all the way down to the front line level. And then I think the the third piece really is, you know we have a lot of people that over the last couple of years have tried things in data analytics, very few who have successfully put together an aggregate strategy, much less taken it into um how do I actually have meaningful conversations um and solve these problems with our consumers all of that i think then looms on we got this you know potential big recession maybe it's not a recession who knows you know piece of this that that's coming up and so um certainly from the last 20 years of being a tech exec the idea of most of these things we cannot possibly know and cannot control for um what we have to figure out is what are the things we do know with the best information we have today? What's the 90 day plan that we can execute on that, that can be dynamic? And how do we control the things we can control and not, and re- frankly, just really not worry about the other ones because the game of, mm-hmm. of chaos in the marketplace and, and volatility is more about moving quick, making the best decisions, preparing you for the ride up than it is about, you know, making this perfect three to five year plan and executing on that because the t- these days in this market, by the time you get your plan done, all the all the rules have changed. Right? Yeah. And we're yeah, on yeah. To something different. So
1: yeah. So I'm hearing uh liquidity as a big challenge right now, which certainly from 18 months ago yep. to today, everything is completely inverted. Uh economic shift, which is certainly related, generational transfer. Um, that may not be the right tw- yep. word, but generational shift, the demographic we're serving and the products that they're interested in, and then the data and analytics. So I'm summarizing that because I want to pass it over to Stephen. You're working in the retail setting every day. Which of those resonates most with you?
0: <laughs> we, uh, all of them. <laughs> but I will say for sure, um, it's it comes down to meeting our members where, where they want to be met. Uh, our, our members have completely changed. How they do business. I know when we look at Credit Union World five years ago, we say, "Oh, Mister Smith and 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 Mister Buckhead, they come into our branch every single day, and we had a complete change in how our members are expecting us to respond to them and to provide service to them." Uh, members that never would have adopted our digital platforms are now. Um, really saying this is the way we prefer to do business. And so what we're faced with as a retail network is how do we as credit union executives and credit union employees, how do we pivot our business model so that that philosophy that brings us all here today in this meeting of people helping people and that core principle of why all of us choose to work at a credit union and not a bank How in the world do we keep who we are while investing in a robust digital platform? And so for us, that's where our focus lays. How are we investing in our people so that when someone walks into any of our brick and mortar locations, they get a concierge service? We have impeccable member service skills because people get to choose to walk into a branch these days. Mm -hmm. They don't have to. And when they do, sometimes they're not happy about that because years past we had where our our members would think, okay, let's go. I got to take care of X, Y, Z. Let's go into the branch. And now it's flipped. Mm -hmm. Now our members are saying they go straight to digital platform. Even our older members or our members from lower demographics, everybody expects this. So when we don't have it, have we failed? And when we have someone walk into a branch, are we asking ourselves, why did Mr. Member have to walk in? What was it? Why was that not available to them? So it's about creating a, a digital strategy, investing from top down and high level digital um, strategists and making sure that our frontline team members are able to pivot to make an interaction with a member that walked in more meaningful. And making that an experience that's higher than it's ever been.
1: Yeah, no, we've had we've talked at length about this, Stephen. We'll, we should touch on it uh, in a, in a few minutes here about the branch transformation that the A plus is undergoing. But uh, I love Kirk's uh, Kirk's comment. It's not transformation anymore. Essentially, you're saying the transformation is complete, and if you're not there yet, you're you're kind of behind at this point.
3: Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> So uh, Gordon, I, I want to pull you into this the the theme that I'm hearing, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, Stephen, but what used to be the you know, personal interaction with Mr. Smith, Mr. Buckhead, that wouldn't have been the name the last name I thought of, but I love that one. From knowing someone's face and name uh, personally to now, trying to interact in a meaningful, personalized way with someone that you may never have met in person. So Gordon, looking at it from the the data side of things, how is technology supporting this transition from physical, social relationship to more of a digital first uh, relationship?
3: Well, I would say how it is is not well. <laughs> like right. you know, if 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 you look, I would I would say most of the the things right. Like there's there's a there's a joke that uh, I've I've heard tell, and it's uh, what's the difference between a used car salesman and a software salesman? And it's a used car salesman knows when he's lying to you. Uh, and, and I, I, find that that's generally true, right? Like a lot of the times you buy software thinking that it's going to help you achieve this ideal interaction with your member. It's going to automate what can be automated. Um, but often ends up kind of making things worse. Um, almost anybody that's called into, uh, uh, you know, like a, a call center, you don't enjoy <laughs> those phone trees and all the menus that you have to go through. Um, the whole theory is, is, you know, it's going to provide a better experience, but it often doesn't. And, and I think that's where uh, I think there's, there were a lot of promises that have been made in the past 20 years, as far as like what technology can do. And I think we're now realizing the limitations of that and then the, the areas that it does do very well. So transactions, it does extremely well. Right. So, I mean, especially I would say with the, kind of kick in the pants that we got with the pandemic, where the, the, the people that were most reluctant to uh, use technology were the ones that were most interested in not <laughs> interacting with people, um, which are the oldest people in, in our community. So we watched, I think, an extremely high user adoption of digital banking platforms. Um, but you know, we need to figure out how to make technology actually achieve the objectives of the institution rather than the institution changing what they're trying to do to fit what the technology does. And I think that that's really where technology fits in very well—is where it's aligned with the goals and the culture of of the credit union, right? I mean, we aren't talking about banks; we're talking about credit unions. We aren't talking about customers; we're talking about members. And I think we need to make sure that technology is always falling in line uh, with those goals and those objectives of the organization.
0: And Gordon, if I can chime in on that, um, at at E Plus, we are doing just that. So you you have nailed our strategy. We are seeking to incorporate into branch goals um, MAU goals, monthly active users, which mm-hmm. is how many times has one of our members logged into their their online banking on any platform every month, and we're monitoring that and trending that to try to increase utilization and giving it, you know, that MAU goal directly to team members for their branches so that it stays top of mind as a product or service that we refer. Um, to uh, Mr. Smith, who's in line, who comes in every day, have we taken the time to talk about remote capture and um, or e-alerts that drive our members to our digital platforms? So incorporating, incorporating that as a goal and a strategy, I think is essential. We're even going as far as investing in our people into digital certification so that our frontline staff are extraordinarily... Familiar with our digital platform, um, how it operates. They utilize it themselves because it's not acceptable in today's world that we we aren't on the edge of being an expert on that.
3: Yeah, it's 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 definitely something where all of the time and energy that was historically spent on handling transactions uh, can now be spent on being consultative. What I think you use the word concierge, right? Like having mm-hmm. that experience of you know, helping people kind of uh, wade through what's going on. And that takes a much higher level of training of the staff. Um, and, and that's where, again, technology can help facilitate those kinds of conversations, right? Like next best products, as you were saying, having dashboards to, to monitor member service utilization or other things along those lines uh, to facilitate that. But it really does take that kind of hand and glove between technology and the actual personal touch experience to, to help walk people through that.
1: Yeah, and Kirk, I'd love to get your thoughts here. So we've touched a lot on how technology, uh, how important technology is to uh, continue engaging with members today. You have the opportunity to work with fintech firms of all sorts. What are you seeing as far as trends right now in the financial technology space? And what are you recommending to your clients that are working to serve the credit union space and make sure that they are maintaining that like member focus in their technology.
2: Yeah, I think there's kind of a couple hidden um, challenges here. So one is in general, the larger the credit union, the more likely they are to believe that we must have one app or one online banking environment that solves all things for all members. And we have this like perfect view of everything, mm-hmm. it fully integrated. Um, and, I, and, in, and then the second piece of that, because of that, they tend to think we must do this full integration down to the core level to deliver this you know uh, experience and when those two things are true all we've done is take this legacy infrastructure non-digital environment and forced it upon a fintech who's fast nimble uh has a you know 100% digital platform which then means they are slow <laughs> you know binary mm-hmm. and stuck on the phi server jack henry painful integration loop, and we're robbing our our members of a true 100% digital piece. And so so that's one piece. The second piece is because of all that, many credit will be trying to pick the one fintech winner, like they'll look at 50 ideas and go, this is the best idea of the bunch. And first off, you're all wrong. Um, we're all <laughs> wrong. We have no idea. And we look at thousands of these all the time. Um, what members actually want, want and what we think we want are completely disconnected. So th- the the real piece is, you know, we're trying to make these bets on home runs based on our understanding of the modern world. But we're frankly, we're all coming at it from the view of the past, you know, the innovator's dilemma the the, the past participants in this, not the new Gen Z or, or, you know, my kid's perspective on this, who, you know, frankly... They're on a Discord server and they're fully back to a you know a green screen interaction <laughs> to do whatever they want. a chat bot that can do it with I always use this example of imagine we walked into a McDonald's and there was an Alexa there, and we just said, "Can I order a cheeseburger with fries, no mayonnaise?" Right. And that Alexa is going to be faster than any stupid app that I can pull out of my phone and interact with at at Mm. processing the order, turning it into a transaction and telling the person behind the scenes to make the the burger at the end of the day. Yet we're still all focused on, hey, this is cool, we got the internet and then we got mobile phones and we're trying to do this all through an app. And the reality is human connection and, and communication is more efficient than all of that, right? And so when we think about the evolution of these fintechs being constrained by the core, the mobile banking system, or our, or our own perception of the world, we're missing the third, fourth, fifth iteration in that step, which is where the next generation of fintechs that are being led by 25-year-olds or 27-year-olds in this process are able to see a whole nother iteration behind that that we just don't see. And so really beginning to think about those trends at a broader level and saying, maybe what's more important is that we're trying lots of things we're killing off things that aren't working well um, and we're innovating quickly is more important than us trying to think that we're the most, you know, genius people who can pick the biggest winner and deliver this perfectly branded experience to our members. Cause frankly, I'm not sure they care.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I love that, that we're, we don't want to put what a, uh, we don't want to put a Ferrari, you know, a Ferrari driver into a a Honda Civic, I guess, is the way it comes to mind. That's just off the top of my head. Um, We don't want to, you know, try to plug into something that can't support what we're trying to do. So I actually wanted to, I I see Kirk, you probably saw this as well, but someone had uh, posted a comment in the the Q&A, and I'd like to open this up to the group and then Kirk give you a chance to respond here. But um, this person wrote, that's a great point, Kirk, um, and have a question. What to what extent are credit unions willing to have standalone, complementary offerings in addition to their main app that aren't weighed down by core banking? So I'd love to hear, Kirk, your thoughts on this. Um, and Stephen, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass it to you as well. But um, for attendees as well, if you're working in a credit union today, I love uh, love you to chat in. Um, how how open are you to having uh, multiple different digital applications for your members?
2: Yes. So the shorter answer is it depends, right? on, on kind of th- things I always see in credit unions is we'd like to believe it's 100% about the member. But the reality is the first thing is it's going to be whatever regulatory or balance sheet problem that's occurring from a Federal Reserve macroeconomic trend is going to drive our behavior first and foremost. So if the Fed is printing money, we're lending money and loans are really important because we got so many deposits and it's screwing up all our ratios and the examiners and the board are going to beat us up on that. Unfortunately, that's just the reality. And if the Fed is contracting money, the reverse is happening and we start needing to bring in deposits and we can see this trend going on. And so suddenly, if credit unions are desperate to raise liquidity and deposits, then they're suddenly willing to take a less principled stand on that fully integrated thing. Um, some are not and they'll stay behind that kind of long-term branded picture but we see more flexibility in that um the second piece is I think really on their philosophy of how do we try things and have a test group of members that we can play around with to figure out what are these trends that we really want to bet bigger on how do we make a bunch of small bets to see what we want to go forward with so so those types of creditings tend to be much more flexible in that when the other style we see is when you get management by committee and nine people have to be involved in that decision, then almost always it goes down to the perfect 100% integrated thing that we're going to bet everything on and it's going to take three years to roll out. And frankly, if you were to roll out a new CD product and it was going to take you three years, I'm not sure what you're responding to in the marketplace and what impact it's going to have for you at that point, right? And so it's this constant trade-off of speed and reaction and short-term needs versus you know, what that full piece of it. And so we, we really like to say, make a bunch of bets, prove the small case studies, and then pave the way backwards to say, Hey, we've tried these 10 things. These three worked. Now that we've got our first thousand members using each of these things, now we'll work on version two, version three, that is fully integrated as opposed to let's get it perfect on day one, you know, and roll it out the way. And because every VC backed Startup or every entrepreneur is, t- is trained in agile small-scale testing, if you aren't thinking that way, they're going to kick your ass. <laughs> right? Like' it's just, it's just
0: the cold, hard reality of that. but I, I definitely want to hear what Steven thinks on this too. I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I believe the key to it is better before perfect, right? I think that um, especially in credit union world, our members depend on us uh, for reliability. In a lot of in a lot of senses, we are uh, we are convenient, uh, but we need to be reliable. We don't need to change their whole world in a moment. And we've made those errors before. Uh, we have seen the new shiny object, and we've gone all in on it. I'm sure everybody here has. And then you're like, oh wait, there's a new shiny thing, right? And then did our members even want that or like it? Because this is what in in meetings like this we're hearing about. So we are looking at a staged approach to integration. And uh, some of my colleagues have from other organizations have shared how they are going to financial health centers where they are eliminating people altogether. And they are going to a complete digital platform in there with the exception of a couple of individuals, but no access to cash. we're not there. Um, We believe that it's about blending and matching what the market wants. So, uh, we are strategizing to implement focus groups for our members to gauge this. And it may not be an, an organizational approach. It may be branch to branch based on demographics of that branch and what those members need or want. So, we are better before perfect and we are integrating into an uh, itm strategy that facilitates that uh, we do believe that the friction processes of five years ago of you know laborious transactions that it require cash in you know a check for 150 dollars or any a deposit, when somebody walks into a branch, is that really the right utilization of our staff right now? So we are looking at a slow integration of ITM technology into our branches to complement uh, uh, an extreme investment into our digital platform. We even uh, have added and expanded to our executive team, a chief digital strategy officer to help execute that who works very intimately with our CMF, our chief member experience officer to chart out that strategy so that we listen to member needs, we watch what the market's doing, but it's not all in uh, for us. I I mean, we're not looking to flip a switch uh, because we've done that before and we've got to really make sure that we remain convenient and we remember we have to respond to what our members need and want. So it's a blended approach and it's a case by case basis on a lot of instances. Yeah, I'll, I'll add one thing that I think of. So, back in the day when I was at NIH Credit
2: Union, this would have been 1999, 2000 timeframe. We were big on digital insight, had you know, 40, 50% of a medical professional community using online banking back at that point. Mobile banking was just first being talked about, and we rolled it out on a trio. And we had like 400 users on a trio, and every time you are using your trio for mobile banking and you got an email, the whole thing blew up, <laughs> and you couldn't do two things at once. It was like the the really super early stage mobile phone uh, piece of it. And you know, one one art might argue that that is a failure, right? That we we were too early in the trend. We picked something that not enough of our members wanted. You know, all those sorts of things. But what it meant was three or four years later, when things were ready we already had a draft of playbooks around how to get member adoption. We already had things to be looking for in the second and third wave of that innovation to be you know, looking for so that when the first mobile apps did come out on an iPhone and those pieces, we were able to see a much more significant adoption rate out of the curve um, because we had seen the two or three epic failures along the way. right? And so I think a lot of times for cutting ends, it's just, well, we, we don't want to we don't want to pick something that's bad and it's a terrible experience for members versus what we're, what you're really trying to do, in my opinion, is see what the trends and waves are and know it because it was obvious in 2000 that mobiles, mobile phones were going to be a big you know, shift in this. That was an easy, obvious trend to predict. What we can't predict is when and when exactly the technology will align. Just like it's pretty obvious right now that artificial intelligence and chatbots and you look at OpenGPT and some of those things are going to completely revolutionize how we interact in these things. What we don't know is when they're going to be good enough that mainstream adoption kind of occurs. And it's easy and it doesn't require us to do all that manual work behind the scenes to to make it look like a real piece of technology. Um, and I think that's the real dilemma here is when do you make those bets and how do you see enough of those? Uh, and, I, and I like, Stephen, that you're taking... You know, multiple you know shots at that and thinking about that long term.
1: Yeah, no, this is a great discussion and thanks um, to Kevin um, for p- posing that initial question there. Um, sorry, I didn't catch the name before. Um, so I want to shift us here. We touched a little bit on um, some of the economic headwinds and how that's impacting um, you know our our balance sheet. Um, I want to combine that with the digital conversation that we've been having. So. I'm very curious and, and Gordon would love your thoughts on this. Um, so liquidity is tight. We're not seeing members as much. We're uncertain about whether we're heading into a recession or heading out of a small blip. How are you working with organizations and specifically you know, using technology to detail if people are having member conversations and hearing about different needs, how are you leveraging that
3: data to improve the way that we consult with our members? Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's it's understanding what technology can do and what it can't do, and and you know, what's the ideal member experience, uh, and and the way that our our technology, and I'll I mean, again, I'll, I'll I'll speak a little bit more broadly of kind of the issues that I saw and, and how I think they need to be solved is every new vendor you bring on is potentially some new service or some new additional value. But again, if you think about how like uh, OpenChat GPT works or any of these other things, you need to consolidate all that information, right? It's going and in crawling information to consolidate all of that to give you that answer. And you need to do the same thing with all the information around your members, And that's really, I would say, the big uh, difficulty is how do you get that complete picture of your members, understand their behaviors, to be able to have that consultative, concierge, um, even uh, proactive or predictive experience and interaction with them. And that's really the desire I would see of how how institutions, especially credit unions, are wanting technology, especially data, uh, to fit in with kind of what they're trying to do and what they're trying to achieve. And so, you know, if, if I'm pulling in core data, LOS data, call center data, if I'm, uh, and, and if I'm then having those interactions, how am I logging those interactions to feed them in as additional data to really kind of get that true 360 perspective of your member? Uh, that's, that's the difficulty in what's trying to be done. Uh, the, the the question is, is how to do it, right? Um, like, what does that actually look like? Uh, and and I think this kind of goes back to what Kirk was saying is understanding what is kind of the bleeding edge of technology and then understanding kind of the difficulties and limitations of that and then understanding historically what's worked and kind of trying to marry those two things in a stable environment that's not going to break things. Uh, coming from the tech world, uh, the 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 beauty and terror of most tech companies is within an agile development methodology is honestly your first your iteration first few iterations of your product are going to suck. Uh, I was I was talking with one of kind of the big VCs here out in Colorado. And what he said is, is if your first clients don't hate you, you're you're doing your tech company wrong. That's terrifying mm-hmm. <laughs> as, as people on the other side that try to buy it. Right. And back from my consulting days where we I would help them go try to buy technology. We were consistently getting screwed uh and so that's where you really need to do it what i'll say though is credit unions i think have this really cool superpower in qsos uh where you credit unions get to kind of go into these little laboratories of these different things and really get a seat at the table and ensure that these should be technological solutions that are being developed and deployed to solve the needs of the credit unions um the one other thing and i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to piggyback on what kirk said um is you know how do you how do you get agile culturally within the organization? Uh, you know I, I would I I would like to say gone are the days of the fifty page RFPS, but I still see them sometimes. Um, those don't work. They don't work within institutions. Really, what you need to do is find technology partners that are going to work with you, and then look at agile deployment. Uh, think about how can I get something out the door in two to three months rather than you know a year or two years. Uh, as far as like CRM or a data strategy or some other utilization so that you can then iterate off of that, figure out like this didn't work at all. But so let's pivot to, to something else that might have a greater impact on membership, on ROI, on, you know, what what are the objectives of the institution? So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you one other kind of quick use case. There are two credit unions that, uh, one is my main credit union with whom I, uh, with whom I bank here in Colorado. And then there's one that my mom uses. And the one that my mom uses is much smaller, but they've done a much better job of communicating how there has been a pivot in what the credit union is trying to do in how they're utilizing that with their members. So they came out with kind of a hybrid CD product a month ago. Um, that seems to have been very effective. They did a great job of communicating the insane change in rates that have been done in the past mm-hmm. eight months in this area uh, to be able to address the internal needs of the credit union with the needs of their members. My credit union, which is much larger, that I think is be, behaves a little bit more kind of like a a giant tanker ship. It's taking forever to kind of turn and move those objectives over. Uh, and so that's where smaller, more nimble uh, credit unions or institutions, I think, are, are proving to be able to deploy that agile uh, within their product offering, within how they interact with their members uh, at a much faster rate. And that's that's really what mm-hmm. I think we need to see from how technology is utilized and deployed. Mm. Yeah,
1: no, I, I love that, that sometimes the. The speedboat is the better uh, vehicle for you versus the the super tanker. So I'm going to come back to that in a second because Stephen, I think you guys are a great example that organizationally you probably tend a little bit more towards the super tanker side of things. But I, I you know, you, you your organization has stayed very nimble both culturally and and with technology. So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But I had a question for you about um, how do we actually keep our finger on the pulse of the membership, uh, the member organization. So first, I just wondered if you may not have an answer, so forgive me if this is uh, the wrong question because this is just off the top of my head. But Gordon, you were talking about how we collect data and organize it to gain insight. But Stephen, you're talking with members every day. So just informally, are there certain trends or themes that you're hearing with regard to member challenges and things that they're asking for? And how does that inform your product development so you're serving those needs as they evolve?
0: Yes. Um, Our our retail network has seen, give or take, about a 45% decrease in transactions that uh, were pre-pandemic to post-pandemic. And so looking at that, uh, our staff has had time to engage with our members in a way that they did not uh, engage before, which is part of our strategy to heighten the member experience in the branches through consultative conversations and deepening questions um, and finding out, uh, taking a member interaction and utilizing it as uh, not only um, a way to improve their lives, but as some research and development Uh, We created, for example, uh, in our organization, uh, a a portal feedback that is being trended uh, from all of our feedback uh, loops from member to team member. And we created a whole entire department, our member experience team, that analyzes that data and then takes that information and disseminates it to the appropriate department so that we can connect what our frontline staff is saying our members are bringing up. To what is our strategy internally to improve the overall member experience um, a large majority of that uh, revolves around friction points things that our members um, have found cumbersome that they can't do from home or that someone had to wait an excessive amount of time uh, for a product or service to be completely delivered to them um, we have to be agile we have to be quick uh, but we also have to do all of those things in a way that supports our experience as credit unions in a way that um, doesn't flip the switch too quick where we throw something out to all of our members that doesn't work or a product um, that may not meet their needs. So we utilize that forum, that feedback portal to use it as what are what's the pulse of our members right now? What are they saying? And I can tell to any of the other credit unions that are listening right now, think about how you are trending what your member feedback is. Um, what are they asking for uh, right now in the Austin market? We've got a 35 percent increase in rent month year over year. Mm. So just think about that for a second. Our members, from one year to another, are paying 35 percent more when their leases renew. And so here we're hearing a lot about that from our team members and our members saying, "I'm having trouble because I'm getting paid the same amount, but." Yep. My rent's gone up. So, taking that and saying, "Hey, our members' rent is going up," we, you know, lots of inquiries about unsecured personal loans. What do we have for that? Uh, when a natural disaster hits, like we had an ice storm uh, here, a snowstorm, and guys, Texas is not prepared for that. <laughs> so, when that happened, we had a lot of members who needed funds and in, in and in a quicker manner that were saying, "Hey, this happened. I need. I wasn't able to go to work. I need some extra pay." So just trending what the current events are for our members so that our products are universal. Uh, We've gone away of some of our very specific types of loan to more Mm -hmm. of a, hey, we've got a a loan for that and kind of using that as an an all-encompassing product for our members. But I think you got to trend it. I think you have to find a way in your branch network to find out what your members are saying. Make sure that your team members are putting that into the portal so that you can then trend that data and take it to the appropriate department to implement change.
1: Yeah, no, very very thorough uh, response there. I love the feedback portal and certainly familiar with the, the member experience team. How much of the feedback loop is reactive versus proactive? Like member walks into a branch, has some experience or does something online, are they coming to you or do you push out member experience surveys? How do you balance that?
0: So it's it's more of a, at this moment, it's, it's reactive. Of course, we have an annual survey that goes out to our members, but it's not really diving just yet into those types of topics. As we look at integrating into a more digital structure um, with ITM technology, et cetera, inside of our branches, Um, We intend to do focus groups to make sure that we are being proactive in that act uh, act, aspect. Um, But um, I think it needs to be blended. And if you have the resources for it, and especially if you've implemented any type of new technology in there, we got to listen to what our member feedback and not just wait for our metrics to show a result in that at a particular branch location. Uh, I know in the early 2000s, we made the, the mistake of uh, some of these remote teller stations that were the tubes that went from a lobby uh, and there's a screen in there where you talk to somebody that was behind a wall. That for us did not work in our market. That um, was a, a big pain point and um, noticing then learning from that, that we need to get this feedback before, during, and after so that we can assess it. are we really being doing what's right for our members? Cause most of our members don't speak up. We have to ask. Yeah, uh, I'm reminded of um,
2: QCash, QSO out of uh, Washington State Employees Credit Union, and they have been working pretty hard at um, offering small-dollar loans um, to members. They had about 25, 30 credit unions uh, involved. And so they were fintech early on, using some AI, some cool stuff, having some big success. Most people saw them as small-dollar loans or payday loans, right? So um, after they got the first 25 credit unions, they went and sat down and talked Like individually, client by client, and they did what's called a listening tour. They said, "Well, why did what did you buy? Well, what, what, what? How are your members using this? What's the piece?" And what they figured out was that really what they were doing is emergency loans, right? Lots and lots of small dollar emergency loans. So they rebranded the product around emergency lending, and they added seventy five more credit unions in six months. You know, and so so it's this really important piece of, I think there's often a disconnect with what we're selling. As a credit union, as a fintech, you know whatever it is, and what the consumer is buying, right? And we we miss that piece, and it's really hard to sit in our boardrooms talking about it and trying to come up with these things and think these are the value propositions, these are the features that they want, and that's not what they're buying. They bu- you may be successful, so you know, and they buy a lot of stuff, but they didn't buy for any of the reasons you thought you were selling at the, at the end of the day, and that disconnect in when we're picking fintechs to work with, when we're training our employees, any of those things off. And and by the way, I don't actually believe you can survey that effectively. I'm, at least I know I'm not smart enough to ask the right survey questions uh, of that. Mm-hmm. And Even if I distill this down to my relationship with my wife, what I think my wife bought <laughs> in marrying me versus what she actually gets and what makes her happy are two completely different things. And, and you have to connect those dots in a totally different way. And by the way, if I send her a survey and say, do you value my looks? Uh, my, you know, my fatherhood, you <laughs> oh, know, my husbandry cool. skills, like all those kinds <laughs> yeah, of things, right? versus what she actually cares about are totally disconnected. And I would not ask the right questions in a survey.
0: That that is so interesting, Kurt. Because we, of, of course, I, I know almost all organizations have a, a typical member service. You know, you you do a transaction, yep. and what did what's your feedback on that loop? So often, we, when you have the general comments there, we do get feedback uh from that that tells us okay yeah what <laughs> that's that's something we're concerned about right now we didn't right. realize it and uh but if you can centralize that where you know what you're trending on and right. you're able to then go back and say from a, a to people that have bandwidth for it is this we need to dig into it and then yeah. do a formalized approach to
2: we're, it You're like you fly a plane, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah member service surveys um are a beautiful They're place I would recommend just to make sure that you have an open area for response on that yeah. and not just one, two, three, four. Yeah, that was like the United
2: surveys. like, you know, they asked me the five questions about the flight. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll answer. Those are all five-star things, but none of those actually get it whether I'd actually recommend this, you know, b- because the reality yeah. is your experience in the flight is based on the pilots. It's based on, you know, the mechanics that worked on the plane. Yeah. It's based on the flight attendant, right? Honestly, a lot of times, like the number one complaint I have is, I sat down on the plane. I'm on this plane for five hours. You refill my water glass two times, you know, in five hours, and I'm dying of thirst. Great. All these other things just don't matter. If you just pay a little attention, you know, like that makes more of a difference, right? Um, so yeah,
1: that, that could open a whole other uh conversation about survey design and are we asking the right questions? But yeah. um getting getting what I what I'm hearing is getting that that product market fit is. Tricky, and the way that we do it is by iterating and consistently soliciting or looking for that feedback from our members. Because I think financial institutions, more than any other organization, uh, your product is fungible. So anyone can buy. You know, anyone can take that personal loan and do whatever they want with it. So we need to figure out what what they're doing with it um, in order to be most successful. Because we want to know what what we're actually selling. Um, so. I want to shift here just towards the the last word I said, what we're selling, which is a tricky word in the credit union space. So, mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about technology, transformation, e- economic, you know, challenges that we're experiencing, but the tip of the spear really is that member interaction and how our frontline staff are demonstrating their commitment to members. So, I'll, I'll point to Stephen for a moment and Gordon, I want to get your thoughts as well on how CRM supports this. But Stephen, how are you addressing the member conversation with your team? And I won't be uh, coy about this We're you know, SRG is fortunate to work with Stephen's organization on some member conversation skills training, but kind of putting that aside for a moment, Stephen, how are you working with your team to address the challenges that your people, your members are bringing to you uh, today?
0: It's a, a great question. Um, how I look at our branch network is we're the people part of the credit union. Um, our, our members walk in because they choose to walk in, typically. Um, many, many of our products and services and, and is, are offered digitally. But um, when they walk in, how are they able to engage in a conversation that not only meets their need, but listens for cues that are relevant. There is a lot of friction in credit union world when you if you go into a credit union, you start talking about sales numbers or um, individual sales numbers and you say sales they it's it's like, hey, we're not a bank, right? and we are not a bank, and we've got to protect that. Uh, what we have to remember is how are we able to message? Sales in a way that fits our culture, because sales are vitally important to our organization. They're important to our members because our members don't know what we have that can help them to achieve whatever pain point they have or dream they have. So we are investing very focused efforts on our training of our team members. And very humbly, and before we had Greg and his team, we said, "Oh, okay, we're we're you know we're doing this organizationally, and we're going to do our own uh, program, and we're going to create it, and we're going to train, and we're going to be amazing at it because we got amazing sales leaders." And then very quickly, we're like, "Oh, wait, this is a little bit over our head." And so um, we are teaming up with SRG, um, which is the uh, Greg's company, and we are um, investing in a robust sales and service training platform because. If we are making the, the, the decision, the strategic decision that we are having brick and mortar branches, we have to make sure that we invest in our people. If that service is gonna be there, how are our team members going to be able to add value to someone walking through the door? And that is not an easy thing to do. You can have an extrovert and you can hire them and they can seem like they can have a great conversation, but can they pivot to talking about a product or service? So we are in the beginning stages of rolling out um, our sales and service training platform, uh, which uh, is we are titling that consultative conversations, not sales, not a sales yeah. platform, but conversations. Mm-hmm. And we're teaching our existing team members and our new team members. They art. Of the pivot, the art of finesse, the art of talking and recommending needs and services in a way that is not a sales. It's not product dumping. No, like, hey, you know, supersizing it every single member of the drive through, but listening that if somebody is saying, hey, you know, I, I, what do you think of my new car in the drive through? That we're able to recognize that that is something that we could possibly add value to. What is the rate on that car? But we are skill, our skill sets are not um, at the level they should be with that. So and they're not going to be unless we have a centralized training platform that does that. So we have made a a strategic decision to invest in our people, invest in the quality of our interactions, create that concierge service and really um, make our focus in branches, not about process, but about progress for our members. So. And we're probably Mm -hmm. how we're in the beginning stages, Greg, we're getting ready. Uh, I'm excited to say we've been working on a project for a couple of years next month. Uh, we're getting ready to kick that off. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah.
1: Now, one thing we've talked about um, a handful of times in the the past several weeks is um, how do we support that with data? You know, the the member relationship is really the foundation of a consultative conversation. one of the ways we build relationships is by, by knowing them, by remembering the conversation we had two weeks ago, right? So Gordon I know that you guys help with that and you know don't don't need to set you up for a we at SRG we hate the word pitch here. So I'm not gonna say pitch, I'm gonna say an an, an explanation of how does CRM help us have a more consultative conversation with our members.
3: Yeah, well it's look, I, I'm not gonna go to a uh McDonald's and ask them what's the best burger in the area, right? Like, I mean, and and I think I think the the idea that I really try to focus on is information asymmetry, right? So the the whole terror of going again, I'm going to use car dealerships again. I'm not sure why. Yeah, the, the the problem with going into used car dealership is they have information about that used car you don't have, or at least that was historically true. And now with technology. Sometimes I can go in and look at the history of that car and see it was in an accident and I can look up the repair history and everything else on Carfax and I can breach that information asymmetry to be a consultative like concierge as I'm interacting with someone I want to be able to have information that the member doesn't have. And that's really where a CRM can come in, is I can say, I am looking at a picture of how you are spending your money. I'm looking at a picture of how you're interacting with our credit union that you might not be able to see the forest for the trees from. Uh, And so I will then be able to leverage that to say members that have similar behavior to you, this would be a great additional service to them or you know members that are expressing this kind of need. I'm seeing this. And so that's where you really have, I would say, the three legs of the stool uh, to be able to provide that ideal sales or concierge experience of you need to have the culture to be able to say, we're training our people. We understand this is what's expected of us. But then you really do need the technology. You need the technology to be able to take all of that information about your member and to uh, uh, consolidate it, curate it, put it in a very clear, understandable environment to I think Stephen used the term friction, right? To remove the friction of having to go look and find all of that data to just have it be that much faster. Uh, and then the third leg of the stool is just the operational expectation of okay, we we've got our culture in place, we have the technology in place. Now we need to make sure that it's actually being used and deployed effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's where you want to and then end up doing analysis. And and I think Stephen, you were you were talking a little bit about this, but. You know, like how many of these dashboards are actually being looked at, right? Like how often information being entered into there, uh, potentially having goals or incentives put in place for your frontline staff on how effective they are, not at necessarily just cross selling, but actually providing that, that experience to your members. Uh, and and to bring things full circle, this is where you can utilize member experience surveys to potentially also be part of like a good effective scorecard uh, to make sure that you have that correct balance between member experience and that consultative concierge uh, experience as well.
2: Yeah, I have a quick kind of follow up on question on that. A, a lot of times when I've talked to credit unions, especially the frontline member service reps, and you, and you ask them why they don't cross sell more, a lot of times it's because they it takes them 20 minutes and 18 screens to do something. So by the time they're even ready to ask for the business or make the cross sell, the members exhausted, they're exhausted, and there's another member waiting in queue. So they just punt and say, I, I don't have time to deal with this right now. How how do you, you guys address that in your organizations? How do you measure the how do we create enough space for these these folks to even have the consultative conversation? That's
0: a great question. I think um you're spot on. (laughs) That's one of the, there's two things, right? It's, there's a member waiting and second there's fear. And that those are the things that, um, that prevent our, our team members from referring our products and services. Uh, I'm a firm believer. This is about culture and it's about a mentality. It's about what is the space of the management in the office? Because I believe that what you talk about as a leader is what you value. And so if as a leader in a branch, it starts at the top. And if you're talking about that next member and, oh, my gosh, this member's waiting and we're not talking about the experience, then that's exactly what your team's going to focus on. And so our branch leadership have the ability to influence so much more than what they even even see. I was a manager for many, many years in a branch and. It's so interesting when you start a morning huddle the next morning, instead of saying, hey, guys, we did a great job. We got everybody out. We had low, low wait times. Instead, you say, hey, Gordon, tell the team what you did about how what happened with Mr. Smith. He came in for what? And what did you how did we wind up helping him? It goes so far. So to say, how do we balance that? I think that you can only carve out so much space in an office for things to streamline processes. We have to do that. But it's also about the mentality of your team. And you've got to create a space to make sure that your priorities in a branch go away from that archaic mindset. It's about process. It's about how quick do we get people out. But in in an environment where transactions have gone down 40%, how do we talk about the value of what we've done to help them? And that is a hard thing to do because the temptation is to focus on that number of wait time.
3: Well, and and this and, and just just one other thing that I'll say on this is uh, I think everybody's had the experience where someone's trying to sell you something when you're not looking to buy something, and that's the experience you want to avoid. Uh, I think a really awesome opportunity that we're getting with the huge amount of adoption where transactions are being done now effectively electronically through your smartphone or just automatically through some other thing is... I think more and more we're going to see when people are reaching out to the credit union to have a an interaction with the contact center where they're looking, they're actually showing up in a branch, they are actually looking for that consultative experience. Um, and so that's where you want to have your staff uh with the tools to be able to provide that. If I'm just looking to get a transaction done or I'm I, you know, I want to contest some sort of <laughs> transaction and someone's like, Hey, do you know what our CD rates are now? Then yeah. you're like, I don't want to talk about that.
0: <laughs> but Product dumping, right? Nobody yeah. knows that. That, address exactly.
1: the need. Yeah. Yep. Great. Well, we're getting real close on time here. Um, I know that uh, we left it open for questions. I don't see any more. Actually, no. From Kevin here, so we can uh, we can respond here to one more question, and then I think we'll let people go um, as we get to the top of the hour. So Kevin's question here is: How and where are credit unions seeking out? new technologies to help with their member and sales experience, et cetera. Companies like CU 2.0 provide a great service of helping expose new companies. What else? So Kirk, I think he's saying, besides you, because obviously everyone's familiar by now, that's a great place to look, but where else are credit unions going to find new technologies? Kirk, you're on mute.
2: I'll figure this out someday too. Um, yeah, I, I, I wish I had a good answer for that. I, I, I cause wherever they're going, I'd end up being there. Um, yeah. I and mean, obviously we have all the normal conference stuff, which I think is challenging cause you got to go walk through the sixth grade, you know, science fair to find the one thing you're actually <laughs> interested one. in. Right. Uh, and there's lots of, you know, sneaky traps along the way that can waste hours of time. Um, so, so I think the, uh, uh, other I think the the big way that we see, really, at least in the cu two community, because yes, we're able to help a lot. But I think really the peer group of our mastermind of the couple hundred credits who are in our our quarterly fintech call program and are able to you know every time we can bring them together for happy hours at events or at our live events or those things that's where they can really cross pollinate and learn from each other because frankly Mm -hmm. that's a better faster information source than anything we can do it takes us you know this this if if the audience asks this these us for a question our ability to find sort get them to the right place to solve the problem is much faster than even if i the answer and i gotta go write a blog and put together an ebsco you know another webinar etc that's a much tougher problem right
1: yep Great. Well, thank you, uh, panelists, today for joining. Uh, really great conversation.
0: The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com
1: podcast.